Hi guys, hello my beautiful angel beans, all of the above, beans of the land. Welcome to today's episode. This episode, look, I honestly have lost count of the number of episodes. I think we're like at 117, I want to say. So this episode is going to be about knowing when to walk away from a relationship. It's something that's hard to talk about and it's something that a lot of people don't even want to discuss and so I get DM'd about this all the time and a lot of the time people say to me, I haven't been able to discuss this with anybody but I don't know when to know if it's the right thing to do to walk away or when is the right time to walk away. So we're going to be covering that and there's actually two parts to this and I'm not sure yet, we're going to see how we go, I don't know yet if I have to break this up into two episodes or if I'm going to fit it all in but I'll let you know what the two parts are. The first part is knowing when to walk away, everything I just said. And the second part is going to be something slightly different, which is walking away from someone when they think the worst of you. And this is also going to be applicable to friendships as well. So it's in those moments where you're really trying to prove that you're not the awful person they say you are or they or that you are not what someone has accused you of being and how to actually just walk away when they still think that about you. So it's going to be, yeah, two-pronged. Possibly two parts to this episode. Um, Cool. But before we get into all of that, just a little update on my life. Tyrone actually surprised me on Friday and he was like, just leave the weekend free. I'm thinking like, what are we doing? Does he have things planned for the weekend? Are we going to go somewhere for the weekend? He gave me no details. And then he was like, come downstairs. Can you open the garage? Um, You know, I've got the car. I've got to park it. So I went downstairs and he was in the car there with my parents. He had gotten my parents to come down from Brisbane and surprised me and I was so excited. So I spent the entire weekend with not just my parents, but my extended family, with my sister. We were just all together the whole time. It was incredible. Hence why this episode is coming out on a Tuesday and not the Monday typically because I just wanted to kind of go off comms and just really spend that quality time with my family and it was absolutely amazing. Then prior to that, there was the Sunroom launch party. That was great. I got to meet a whole bunch of other Sunroom creators. I got to meet the actual creators of Sunroom. So Lucy Mort and Michelle Battersby in person because I've only ever kind of e-met them before. So that was really cool. Um, And then still slowly sorting out my life with this move. So I'm going to keep you posted on that. If you want more, I'm going to be doing more updates on my actual Sunroom account as well on the move and all of that. So feel free to jump over and check that out. Some of the content is free as well. So Yes. Also, another update, the card games, my card games have arrived. I've ordered a whole bunch more. They have arrived. They're at my new place slash office and I cannot yet put them on the market because I've just been so hectic kind of juggling all my shit and I've still got to sort out like all the packaging for it. So I'm going to get that done in the next week or two and once that's all organized, I will give you guys a heads up first on the podcast, but I'll let you know when that goes live. I might even do like a pre-order thing a week before they go live something like that um yeah cool now we're just gonna do a quick brain fact and then we will get straight into the episode of today so the brain fact of today is i'm going to be talking about a neurotransmitter you're going to fucking love this it's a very cool neurotransmitter to know about i don't think i've ever mentioned this one before just because it's not one of the common ones the common like top 10 neurotransmitters or chemicals that are mentioned all the time but it is fucking awesome and when you find out more about it you're probably going to want to keep researching it And the neurotransmitter that I want to talk to you guys about is called anandamide. So that's spelled, in case you want to look it up, it's spelled A-N-A-N. Fuck. Fucking hell. Okay, it's spelled A-N-A-N. 
N-D-A-M-I-D-E, just in case you find this really interesting and then want to go and look it up. Apologize for confusing you. Okay, basically what it is, it's a fatty acid neurotransmitter um, and it works in the endocannabinoid system. Basically what it does is it's a neurotransmitter that binds to the cannabinoid receptors and these are kind of the same receptors that cannabis slash THC binds to. Um, And when it binds to these receptors, it makes people feel a sense of bliss, a feel of happiness, overall well-being. And in certain kind of textbooks and, you know, texts and whatever, it's known as like the bliss molecule because of the feeling that it gives you. And it is derived from something called arachidonic acid. And it actually gets its name, anandamide, it gets its name from a Sanskrit word called ananda, which means Kind of, it kind of means happiness, delight, joy, pleasure, those kinds of things. You don't even have to take cannabis or have cannabis in order to have these receptors bound to and um, stimulated. You can kind of, it is created endogenously. It's called an endocannabinoid. So it is a cannabinoid that is made by the body. It is made by you. Um, and the brain is full of cannabinoid receptors for endocannabinoids, but also for exogenous cannabinoids like cannabis, for example, THC, CBD, all of that. And these receptors are present all over the brain and not just the brain, it, the, the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system, the rest of your body is also full of these receptors. And the receptor that anandamide binds to is the same receptor that THC binds to, which is the psychoactive component of cannabis. THC, which is short for... I can say this 10 times in a row, tetrahydrocannabinol, can can I talk today? Tetrahydrocannabinol, tetrahydrocannabinol, wow. Good times, good times, put that in a wrap. Anyway, now, because these receptors are all over the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system, it has many functions as well. Like it's literally all over your body. It plays a huge role in pain relief. That's why obviously a lot of people who like can get medical cannabis, you know, CBD oil, THC oil, because that's going to help massively with pain relief, um, sleep, appetite, feeling good and memory and memory consolidation as well. But it, one of the main things that it does, it's kind of like an overall action and that is to create homeostasis within the central and peripheral nervous system. So basically what it's trying to do is keep everything in balance. It's kind of able to be part of, and I have to do a whole episode on this, but part of a a feedback loop where the cells communicate with each other through through the cannabinoid system without getting too complicated, and it's able to communicate to other cells to dial up something or dial down something. That's kind of in a fucking thick nutshell how that works. It just wants to find a healthy balance and keep that balance throughout the entire body the whole the whole time. When you have healthy levels of endocannabinoids, such as anandamide, it's crucial because without it, your balance of hormones and chemical messengers such as neurotransmitters can be thrown off. So if you have like sub sub ideal levels of endocannabinoids it can cause a whole bunch of issues with your muscle tissue gut issues parkinson's disease ms mood disorders such as depression anxiety and it goes on and on and on and it's also linked to higher fear and anxiety and um, stress levels and how you cope with stress all of that is impacted when your levels of endocannabinoids are dropped down and that's why people can be prescribed um, THC or CBD 
to kind of uh, rectify that problem. But there are other ways that you can raise your levels of anandamide without going down the THC CBD route. Mind you, I'm a huge fucking advocate for THC and CBD, the psychoactive and the non-psychoactive component. I think it's fucking brilliant. I think the work that's being done in research and the medical and non-medical uses for it are fucking amazing. So let's just, that's how I feel. But there are other ways that you can increase your levels of endocannabinoids, okay? In particular, anandamide. So like I said, if you've got all these sub-ideal sub levels of it, you're going to get all these problems. But higher levels of it are going to equate to higher levels of happiness, joy. Um, and also, if you inhibit the molecule that breaks down anandamide, then you have more anandamide present and more available to be absorbed within the body. So you're basically looking at creating more availability of anandamide there so that way it can be absorbed but absorbed but there are enzymes that go in and break it down which of course decreases the available levels now one of the molecules that does break it down is called far as in f-a-a-h uh, and it is a fatty acid and it stands for fatty acid amide hydrolase it's a it's an enzyme and this breaks down anandamide and is also thought to be involved in mood and psychiatric disorders because if you see that huge link between um, endocannabinoids and cannabinoids in general and a higher mood then you're going to understand why if it's being broken down too quickly or too early you're going to have a link with mood disorders and if you can actually inhibit far if AAH, you can inhibit it and then, of course, you have more available anandamide and then you can actually treat a mood disorder that way. So there's obviously so many ways of treating mood disorders. Most people go down the, you know, SSRI route and, you know, other kinds of antidepressants. But this is one of the ways that kind of research is heading down for mood disorders, which is inhibiting that enzyme, that molecule. Now, separate to all of that, separate to inhibiting that molecule and all that shit, there are other ways of increasing it. In, when you talk about foods, one of the best ways, and we love this, one of the best ways to increase it is to eat dark chocolate. So fucking here for it. Um, chocolate is good for so, so many things. It boosts serotonin. It has lots of tryptophan in it, which is the precursor to serotonin. Um, it can help. It helps the brain produce more anandamide anandamide, but it's also thought to contain compounds which slow down the breakdown of anandamide. Separate to that, you've got truffles and black pepper, which are also very good for increasing it. And then there are foods that are going to help break down or not even break down, but increase in the inhibition of that enzyme far. So blackberries, apples, peaches, uh, spinach, broccoli, green beans, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then of course, CBD oil or cannabidiol is great for increasing the availability levels of anandamide as well. If you're looking at behavioral things, you can do things like meditation and exercise. That's a great way of increasing your endocannabinoids. And oxytocin also increases the production of anandamide as well. So oxytocin is that pro-social bonding aka the love chemical. So go cuddle someone or go hug your dog. Um, that's going to help increase your levels of anandamide. So hopefully that was interesting. And if you are interested, just YouTube it, Google it. There's a whole bunch of articles on it. It's pretty cool. Um, all right, let's let's fucking get into the topic of today, which is knowing when we're going to do part one, maybe both parts, but we start with part one, which is knowing when to walk away from a relationship. What I'm going to do and how I'm going to kind of break it down is I've got a bunch of questions that I'm going to be asking you to ask yourself. We're going to 
I'm going to give you the question and then we kind of discuss it while I'm going to be discussing it alone with my thoughts and myself and hopefully you're sitting at home nodding and um, contemplating your life and then we go into the next one. That's how I'm going to do it. And then if we have time, the next we'll do part B. Otherwise, I'll do that later on this week. So when you're in a relationship that you're questioning, should I stay in this relationship? There's so much that's not going right or all this drama has happened or the trust has been broken or we keep fighting all the time and the love is there, but I'm not happy. There could be, or I'm bored. There could be so many things that could be going on or I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it's gone down a toxic road. Whatever it is that you're going through, if you're having these thoughts and you're really questioning the relationship, I'm going to give you these questions and it's actually going to help you come to some sort of a conclusion on what you should do. Should you stay or should you go and when should you go okay because you don't want to prolong it if you if you kind of if you come to the conclusion that it's it's not going to get better it's done then obviously the sooner the better for both your sake the first thing number one question number one you've got to ask yourself what has changed since I was happy okay because you've got to look at it was there a defining moment that changed because sometimes when you identify a defining moment sometimes it's quite beneficial because you can really pinpoint it, pull it apart and discuss it with your partner and get to a point where maybe the trust was broken or whatever and you can maybe get to a point where you can work through that one thing that's that's changed. But you want to ask yourself, what has changed? Think, when was I really happy in the relationship and here I am now and what are the things that are different? Are we less spontaneous? Are we? Do we just not do things together anymore? Do we just coexist as housemates but the passion is gone? Um, are they no longer kind to me or am I no longer kind to them? Not that you're mean, but have you stopped waking up in the morning thinking, what can I do for my partner? Like, what can I do that's going to make them really smile today? Have you stopped doing that? Like, what has changed? Is the fun gone? Is the spontaneity gone? Is the romance gone? Has the sex absolutely dwindled? What is it? Pinpoint all these things, write it all down. And of course, everything that I talk about, it goes both ways. When you say what has changed, is it something that they did? Did they have an affair? Did you have an affair? Really pay attention to it from both sides. Everything I do, everything I talk about to you, I always want you to look at your role that you play in it as well because it's so fucking easy to look at what someone is doing to you and say, you've done this, you've done that, you've stopped doing this, blah, 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 blah. But what have you done? What have you stopped doing? What have you stopped bringing to the party or bringing to the table in your relationship? Or what have you started doing that's not helpful. Um, always both ways, write it all down. You can even do two columns, one for what your partner's been doing or not doing enough of and one for what you can identify about yourself. And if you're really open about this and if you've been discussing the future of your relationship with your partner and it's something that is an open discussion, then I would do this together or give them the episode to listen to. So they're doing it in their own time and you're doing it in your own time and then you can come together to discuss, okay? But some people, their partner has no idea that you're going through this. They might have no idea, so you probably want to do this alone, okay? So that's what, number one, you want to ask yourself what's changed, identify all these things, whether it was a big milestone or not, or these little things that are just dropping off. Number two, ask yourself, am I hoping for it to get back to a time that was in the honeymoon period of the relationship? Because... What you need to realize is that the honeymoon period of the relationship, there's a lot of things that might not be sustainable long-term. It could be purely that it was so great because you were just really excited. It could be because there was the chase. A lot of people enjoy the chase in the relationship. 
Which, okay, fine, as long as it's not toxic, as long as they're not, like, ghosting you or whatever. Okay, fine that you like the chase, but you have to understand that the chase is not love. That's We're talking about adrenaline. We're talking about this dopamine, like, reward cycle. Okay, that's not love. So put the chase aside. Once you're committed to each other and it's on as a relationship, that's when it starts. So any ideas that you have of your relationship, I don't want you looking at the time before you got together. It's like, because that doesn't count. You're talking there about this reward cycle and dopamine hits and blah, blah, blah. We're not looking at that. We're looking at once you're committed, once your relationship started where you're like, we are both on the same page. This is what we are. We are in a relationship. From then, the honeymoon period, the first few months, maybe year for some people, are you now in a situation where all the good memories are back in the honeymoon period and you're wanting it to get back to that time? Because for most relationships, it's going to evolve. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. But for a lot of relationships, at the beginning, you're like, we're going to go on holidays all the time. We're going to, you know, do all this fun stuff. We're always going out for dinner. We're always, you know, doing romantic gestures. And it's good to do that. And I think that a lot of that should exist within the relationship. But also, what also comes with that is you don't know each other that well. So what's fun about it is the exploration of each other. That's really exciting to get to know things about that person, to start telling each other these deep stories and knowing about their family and their friends and these experiences. Once a lot of that information is out on the table, how compatible are you just to be together? Because you might find, wait a minute, the reason that I had so much fun is because in the sharing of everything, but we're actually not that compatible as a couple. We just vibe off each other's stories and of, of you know getting to know each other. But now that we know all that information and we're not repeating the same stories, can we have fun and can we create fun together? Or are we just a storytelling kind of relationship? Are we just sharing our own old lives to each other? Understand that the beginning of the relationship is going to be different to the next few years, whether you've been together for five years, 10 years, two years, 30 years, it is going to be different which is fine. But what I want you to ask yourself is, are you really just wanting it to get back to the beginning of the relationship? Because if that is the case, and if the only good time of the relationship was the beginning, then it's not looking good. It's it's not looking fucking good because it's kind of saying, I only enjoyed it when I didn't really know you, which is not a good thing. Because if you get to a point where you're like, now I know you really well, uh, I want to get back to the point where I was just getting to know you, then it's kind of saying like, we've known each other really well, it's not really working. If you can identify that there's all these good times in the evolution of your relationship and you're not craving to go back to the honeymoon time, but there's all these pockets of good times in your relationships, then it's looking a bit more positive. It's saying, okay, we've we've built on on the relationship together. We've built on good times together. So identify that. The question again is, am I hoping for it to get back to a time that was the honeymoon period? Because if that's the case and that's the only time that was good, mm, not that's not fucking ideal. Okay, question number three. Is one of us struggling to get over something or forgive the other for something and it's and we just cannot move past it? We're going to use having an affair as an example, but you could do this with any lies, with omitting information, with backstabbing, with whatever it is that has hurt you or that you have hurt your partner. And you ask yourself, am I struggling so hard with this because morally I cannot move on? Or maybe I could move on, but it's so painful for me 
that every time I try and do the work on it, I just can't. So I end up lashing out and it's, it's my outlet ends up being attacking my partner because they wronged me. And now the only time I can feel heard or understood is when I lash out. And a lot of the time with couples who don't really get to the bottom of, of you know, um, an affair, uh, a lie or something like that, when you don't get to the bottom of it and when the perpetrator doesn't want to talk about it anymore. They're like, I've said I'm sorry, I've said this, I've said that. The other person who's on the receiving end of it, who was cheated on, for example, they kind of feel like, well, I just now don't feel heard and I feel like you don't care about my feelings. And when it comes to a situation where an affair has gone down, which is the example I'm using, you have to Okay, I'm, I, don't, I don't think it's healthy to be rubbing something in your partner's face again and again and again and again, but you have to allow for it to be brought up in a safe space with your partner. If anything, it's actually healthy that your partner wants to talk about it as unpleasant as it is for you. Now, Esther Perel, who's got a podcast, I just bought her book, she talks about this a lot and she's fucking phenomenal at it. She's, she's, she's uh, like in a therapy, I'm pretty sure, I don't want to bastardize it, but she's like a marriage counselor, therapist, psychotherapist for 30 plus years. She's phenomenal. So if you want to know more about that exact stuff, go look up Esther Perel. But basically it's around that concept that you have to be willing to talk about it again and again and again. If you want your relationship to work and you've cheated on each other, not in an attacking way, we're not here to attack, but it's this, can I maintain this open relationship, this, this open conversation within the relationship or not? Because you might realize no matter how much I love them, I cannot get over it. And if you've come to the conclusion that you will never get over it because you will never be able to trust them again, then that's a huge indicator that maybe it is done. You should not stay in a relationship with somebody that you cannot forgive because that is just a breeding ground for toxicity. It's fine to still be heard about it. It's fine to be like, do you mind if we talk about it again because I'm feeling really like stressed and I'm really struggling with these thoughts. Can we talk about it? That's fine, but this turning around in the middle of an argument when you're arguing about something else and being like, you cheated on me, that's very, very dangerous because you're bubbling with this pain under the surface which isn't being addressed or vice versa. If your partner feels so hurt but you're like, I've already apologised, there's nothing I can do about it, take it or leave it, that's not very fair on them because they're trying to be like, I love you, I want to be with you but I really need to work through this and if you're not willing to do that, then that might be the crack that's big enough to break the relationship. You have to be willing to come to the table. If you cannot forgive, there is nothing wrong with that, but you have to walk away from each other if that is the case. The next one, number four, ask yourself, what would it take for me to be happy in this relationship? And list the things. What would, what would make it turn around for you to be like, wow, I really am not contemplating leaving this relationship anymore? What would it take? And are those things part of your partner's personality or is it something that they would really have to struggle and strain to put on and it's not really them for example I've got a friend and she recently broke up with someone who's amazing they're both incredible people but they broke up they went their separate ways and it was really hard because they still loved each other but she really wanted him to be way more spontaneous and romantic and this guy just wasn't that he was an amazing partner he was the best rock ever you know, he was so grounded, so supportive, but he just was not this romantic, spontaneous, you know, 
spur of the moment kind of guy who would just, you know, sweep you off your feet and do something romantic. And she really craved that. And she used to struggle being like, I've told him all of this, but he's still not doing it. That doesn't mean that he doesn't care, but it could be that that's just not him. And also it never was him. So she was wanting something from him that he never displayed. It's not like he used to be that way and then he got like boring and it died down. He never was that kind of person. But she was in love with him for other reasons and then as the relationship evolved, she was like, now I want this from you. Can you give it to me? And he he tried, but he ultimately couldn't because it just wasn't in him to be that way. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you've got to then ask yourself, if this person doesn't have it in it, in them, to give me this, could I still be happy if I knew that this wasn't going to change for the rest of my life? Could I still stay with this person? What would it take for me to be happy? Would it take for them to be this, 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 and does my partner have the capacity to be that for me? Or would my partner have to be faking it and pretending just like for me to be happy, but then they're not being themselves? And vice versa, of course, you've got to do it in reverse. But I'm talking about your experience within the relationship because you might be in a relationship where they're thrilled, but you're really doubting it in in silence in the background, okay? List down all the things that it would take for you to be happy and then write down next to it, is this an actual possibility? Have they displayed this in the past or am I wanting something from them that I've never seen? And if it is something that I've never seen, have I voiced this to them? Have I expressed that it's it's crucial, it's almost a non-negotiable for me that they be this way and have they tried? Because that's something that you could be raising in the relationship. And if you've already raised it and they've tried and, and then gone back to their old ways, tried again and gone back to their old ways, then that's probably an indicator that it's just maybe not in them. And then you have to ask yourself, is that still okay? Is that still good enough? Number five, the next question you want to ask yourself is, what would it take for me to definitely leave the relationship? Because it's really easy to chip away day by day by day and stay in a relationship that's not pleasing for you. But because no drama has happened yet or nothing major has occurred, you're like, oh, it's good. It's a good relationship. Yeah, we love each other, so I'll stay. But ultimately, you've just got this underlying sense of dissatisfaction with your relationship that's constant. And there might be a little good moment here, a little good moment there that's, that kind of keeps you in this, in this loop of the relationship. But are you, are you happy enough or are you just waiting for something big to happen so you can finally end it? You've got to understand that sometimes nothing major, nothing bad is going to happen. And these are the relationships where for some people, one partner is cruising along being thrilled and the other partner in the back of their mind is like, I'm not happy, I'm not happy, I'm not happy, I'm not happy. And then they turn around and boom, dump the other person eventually because they've just gotten to that point where they've thought it over thought it over that happened to me I was in a relationship where I was like this is amazing we get along we never fight we're thrilled we have fun but obviously there was a lot that was lacking for my ex and then when he ended it I was shocked but it wasn't a shock for him and he was probably thinking about it for a fucking long time you know what I mean so pretty much what I'm trying to say here is you don't want to be wasting your time or wasting your partner's time if it's just not going to work out. Don't wait for some catastrophic event to be like, okay, now I can leave. You've got to ask yourself, what would it take for me to leave? And I'm not talking about a catastrophic event. Would it, if someone told you that for sure this would continue as is for the next 5, 10, 15 years, would you be okay staying? And for most people who are feeling this doubtful thing, the answer would be no. But one day is, no, is, is fine. 
10 years is not fine, but we just live one day at a time. So you can't look at it as like, oh, it's okay now. Why it's okay now. You, you sometimes have to make these big, hard decisions. So ask yourself, what would it take for me to leave? And sometimes it takes knowing that nothing will ever change. That is enough. But you have to put these markers in place. You have to understand what is your threshold and are you willing to have the relationship stay the way it is indefinitely? And of course... This is stuff that once you've written all this shit down, I want you discussing this with your partner, ideally, if you, if you really do want it to work. But you might be in a situation where you might have already tried a million things and you just need these final questions to get into your head and realise we are probably better off, both of us are probably better off not, not being with each other. Number six, the next question, are you waiting for the other person to end it because you are too scared? If you are in a position where you really dread or fear being single and the person that you're with is good but you're constantly thinking like, oh, I'm not really that happy. Should I stay? Should I leave? I don't know. They're a good person. I'm not just going to break their heart for no reason when I don't have any other relationship to go to. Are you in a position where you're thinking maybe they're the ones that want to pull the plug? There are so many times where there's an inst- a kind of someone that wants to instigate the breakup but they don't want to pull the pin because they're scared to regret their decision. Are you scared to dump them because you're scared that you're going to regret the decision? So you're kind of this sitting duck waiting for them to pull the pin. So then you're not putting an effort in the relationship. You're not trying to make it better. You're not trying to make these big conversations happen about how you can, you know, bring your relationship back to life. You're just waiting and sitting and waiting and hoping that ultimately, as much as no one hopes to be dumped, you're hoping that if someone's going to do it, it's them. Because at least they're the ones that make the call. They're the ones that pull the plug. And you can kind of be like, well, I had no control. I kind of just had to accept it and walk away. Is that what is happening? Because if if that is what's happening, then you kind of have your answer. If you want them to do it, you want it to happen. Okay. So if you are waiting for the other person to pull the plug on it, it is your job to pull the plug. And then the last question is, if they did end it, if you knew for sure right now that your partner was going to break up with you, would you feel some sort of a sense of relief in that breakup, in that situation? Would it be relief or would you feel absolutely heartbroken, devastated, sadness, you'd be fighting to have them back, you would be fighting for the relationship? Really think about it hard because that's another reason. Sometimes sometimes putting yourself in the position of if I actually lost them and really lost them and couldn't get them back, would I look at this as a new opportunity for me to be like, okay, this is what needed to happen. We weren't actually really happy together. We actually can be happier apart either as two single people or in another relationship. Or does the thought of losing them absolutely devastate you? Try and put yourself in the shoes of your future self of someone that's been dumped by the person you're currently with. And that's going to kind of open up your eyes of what your future could be like with or without them. If you feel relief, if you think that you would feel relief, then that just indicates to you that you're not willing to break up with them for other reasons, not because you want to be with them, but there's a whole bunch of other reasons. And these reasons often do come down to how you feel about being alone. You're, you might have been abandoned in the past or been alone in the past. So the thought of having your heart broken or being hurt or being alone or not with a partner is just terrifying. So this is the, your safe space. So often people will stay in a relationship because it, it to them represents safety. 
Look at your life as a bigger picture. Do you have safety and do you feel secure in other areas of your life? The more secure you feel in other areas of your life, the less you're going to feel that you have to cling to your partner because they are the constant stable in your life. And if you're doing that, then this is a, a, a big indicator that you need to be doing a lot more work on yourself, on your relationship with yourself and creating stability with your own emotions and creating stability in other areas of your life and really rich relationships outside of your relationship. Sometimes, going on a bit of a tangent here, sometimes if you're someone that is like, you know, those people that get into relationships and their the relationship is everything, right? And even if you're not that in love and not that thrilled, but you're one of those quote unquote relationship people, as some people like to call it, that you get so involved in this relationship that your friendships kind of drop by the wayside, that by the time you start getting falling out of love or getting over the relationship or not sure, you don't have these really rich relationships that you've been nurturing this whole time. So then you kind of think, well, I'm kind of stuck now because I've made this relationship pretty much the only really strong relationship outside of my family. And it might even be the only strong relationship, including inside your family. You know what I mean? So if you're nurturing really strong relationships where you have stability, where you have where you can rely on somebody, where you can open up to someone, where you can be vulnerable with somebody else, then you're going to be more comfortable. It's never fun and it's never going to feel good, but you're going to be more comfortable with your decision to end the relationship. And if you think, okay, if they broke up with me, I would actually be a little bit relieved, but I'm not doing it. Ask yourself, why am I not doing it? Do I feel that they're the only people that can offer me the things that I need? Or do I have that in other areas of my life? I want you to write all those things down. They're all the questions. It's the seven, seven, seven questions that I want you to write down. Literally write it down though. And the beauty of writing it down is that sometimes we'll think all these things, but we don't have it on paper and we'll forget that we thought these or we forget that we said it. And you don't have to make the decision tonight or next week, but it's good to write it all down. And if you're really freaking out about it, have it written down and leave it and then revisit it in a couple of weeks and then think, wow, I really did write that down. Wow, I really was feeling that thing. Sometimes you can have a, you can be really insightful to yourself when you've put pen to paper and written down how you feel, what you're craving, what your needs are, or what your fears are. You write all that shit down and you're going to revisit it later and be like, fuck, that's really hitting home because what I wrote down, I was vulnerable to myself and now I'm reading it and I'm feeling like I fucking really need to do this for myself, okay? Now, if you're someone that's really... You could be someone that's only ever thought about breaking up and your partner has no idea. So you obviously go through all of this on your own time and your whatever. But if you're in a relationship where the two of you are noticing a lot of struggles, a lot of cracks, but you're wanting to make it work, then this is something that both of you should be doing. And ideally, I think you should be doing it separately. And then you come together after these questions have been answered and very vulnerably, you share your answers with each other. And it's got to be a safe space to talk, okay? This is not a time to attack. This is not a time to fight. But it's got to be like, if we're going to make this work, if there's a chance of making this work, I need to know your answers to all these questions. And you need to know my answers to all these questions as well. You have to be able to share it if the relationship stands any sort of a chance to survive, okay? Guys, I'm not going to do the part two because it's so much longer than it's probably this podcast will go on for fucking ever. So I'm going to keep it at part one. Part two is going to come out at the end of the week. And part two is going to be more so for how to walk away from a situation, mainly a relationship, but 
friends, friendships as well are going to come into this when someone thinks the worst of you. There's so much, there's so many layers to that topic and it's going to be a full episode in order for me to get through all of that. So it's going to be a good fucking time. We are thrilled. I hope you enjoyed that one as well um, because it's for all sorts of relationships, not just relationship. Guys, I hope that that episode was helpful for you. I hope it gave you some food for thought. And if you have a friend or a relative or someone in your life that's kind of in this position where they're umming and ahhing about the relationship they're in, send them this episode, get them to listen to it. And also, sometimes this is a good thing to listen to, to be a bit insightful about other relationships in your life. Yes, it's skewed towards rom- romantic relationships, but it could kind of, there are certain, not, the ho- not all the questions, but some of those questions also do serve for friendships as well within your life, okay? So, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. I love you so much. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully this gave you food for thought and hope you have a fucking fabulous day. Let's do, I, f- I haven't done this the last couple of episodes. Let's do a shout out to my beans around the world. I've got a couple of locations. So we've got Denver in the US. Hello. We've got Utrecht. Is that Utrecht in the Netherlands? Wexford in Ireland and Bordeaux in France. Um, Hello. Bonjour to all of you. Thank you guys so much for spreading the word. Spreading the word in like, honestly, it's so sick to see all these new places and like numbers start to grow in different cities and towns and states all around the world. It's fucking amazing. You guys literally keep me young. Love you so much. Um, And that is all for today. I will speak to you on Friday for part semi kind of part two of this episode. And of course, as always, remember, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.